0: the team behind Earth to Humans. Uh, we are doing a little roundtable today talking about, um, you know, this past year in highlights, um, episodes that we really enjoyed producing, um, episodes that were really fun, really thought provoking. Um, and we're just going to go around and each of us have gone into our archives and looked through the past year to see what we've done. Um, And we're just going to talk about some of those episodes today. But um, on our team today, I am joined by Matt Podolsky and Hannah Mulvaney and myself, Serena Simons. And yeah, we're just kind of wrapping up the year, getting ready to embark on a new season of the podcast and do some behind the scenes work while we're on kind of our our yearly winter break. Um, But we wanted to leave you guys with um, a really cool, well-rounded episode uh, before we leave you for a few weeks. Um, And then we're going to end the episode talking about COP28, which is like a big deal right now in the world of climate. Um, And just kind of hear from each other what we've been reading about, hearing about, and what's making us nervous, what's making us maybe hopeful. Um, But we'll get into that in the second half of the episode. But yeah, just kind of catching up a little bit since our last episode. Um, My last episode was with a Ukrainian biologist, And I thought that episode was really interesting to record. Um, He's living in Kiev right now, which was really crazy because it's still, you know, such a a big target um, militarily. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely recommend going back, checking that out. And, um, yeah, just checking out all the other episodes that we've done um, so you can kind of get a sense of what we're going to talk about today. But, um, yeah, maybe I'll throw it to both of you guys to start whoever wants to go first with an episode where you learned the most be it an episode you produced yourself or an episode that somebody else did but an episode where you learned a lot i I can jump in unless
1: unless you're ready to go hannah (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is tricky right because like i was tempted to name Our most recent episode the one that you just mentioned serena the quieter victims of war where you interviewed um that ukrainian biologist that was such a fascinating conversation and like on many levels right um and it it just like his his descriptions of like you know the sort of before and after and and like what the day-to-day routine for his job is it's like it's you know, I, it, it, it's something like I, I guess I don't put it into that category of like, you know, an, an episode where I learned the most. But it's like an episode where I felt like on a certain level, like I, I could relate to what he he was talking about, to what the mm-hmm. guest was talking about, because like I've worked as a biologist, you know. Mm-hmm. But then like that, just that dramatic shift in the daily routine uh, is just i i think because i could relate to like you know uh some of the sort of stuff he was talking about like about what he was doing before the war intensified yeah. uh it was just really impactful for me um so i i would definitely like folks if you haven't listened to that episode that's i think a really important one for folks to listen to but uh i'm kind of playing a trick here and and naming <laughs> two episodes um, yeah. <laughs> the um the the one i wanted to mention as far as like an episode where i feel like i learned the most um, was uh, the rise and decay of the wood wide web
0: mm, that was um, on my list too
1: yeah and like it's it's just one of those things where and and i've i've mentioned this episode like many times in conversations with friends right because like this comes up in conversation like people talk and and you know i i think because like i have a background in biology uh and just kind of like environmental storytelling folks bring this topic up and you know uh, i'm always very eager to like uh talk about and and explain some of the lessons that we're put forward um by the guests in in that episode and it's just it's, it's one of those examples of like you know i i was totally in that camp of people that completely bought yeah. into it's a this great story. Theory of communication mm, you know it is it's because it's such a great story and and it's like as science communicators it's sort of like whoa, like we missed this. Like, we, you know what I mean? I mean, I guess we didn't because like Serena, you like, you know, found these characters and, and, and told the story, um, uh, told the story of the research that that they did uh, and and sort of what it revealed about what has sort of happened, you know, uh, as a society and like in our communication and how like when something is like when, when there is a really good story like that and there's just a teensy bit of like evidence that suggests that something might be true like mm-hmm. how that can snowball and transform into something that it looks totally different from like the the origin of of that idea or that tiny piece of evidence that you know makes that initial initial suggestion
0: and also the so. dangers of like walking that science back you know we talked at the end of that episode right. about you know people's interest in this particular story because it is like such a connecting engaging interesting way to view trees and the forest and fungi but if we don't have that evidence to back it up you know people are already so skeptical of science right now especially post-covid and you know vaccines and all of that um stuff is really in the conversation right now and still is um, you know, so I think like belief in science and trust in science is so important. And so if we have all of these scientists, um, you know, like telling this story that's not backed up by scientific evidence and real uh, robust experiments that, you know, have been vetted and have been retested, um, it makes it like kind of cheap in science a little bit. And so... I like that mm. we talked about, you know, like while it would be so cool if a lot of what we know about trees and fungi and fungal network communication uh, to be true. Basically, what I got from that is there. It's it's so much more complex than that. Like. It's a simplification to call it trees talking to each other in that sense and anthropomorphizing it in that way is a simplification of what's actually going on. And what actually is going on is so much more interesting and exciting. Scientists having to walk back a lot of those claims is kind of a testament to why we don't want to, you know, spin things out of control when we get you know, like a news story like this. We want to have evidence-based science and why that's so important. So, you know, like I agree, like I learned so much during that episode, like talking to uh, Dr. Justine Karst, who's a mycologist, and she's like really at the forefront of this research and um, you know, just trying to understand what's actually happening. And in that episode, I think you know, I posed the question at the end like if 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 you could know today, like wave a magic wand and know everything that's happening between fungi and forests, would you want to know and she was like no i I think the unknown and the trying to figure it out is the whole point, and that's what's so exciting to her and I agreed um but yeah i had a I had a great time researching that episode and trying to find out more about you know, like, hmm, I wonder how, you know, like, are those claims actually that accurate? Because like you said, Matt, we, as science communicators have been telling the story over and over again, and you hear it in conversation and in books and in on television. And it's just so prevalent in our culture right now. Um, mm-hmm. That it's just, it, yeah, it just was a, a little bit of a flag, like, hey, is this actually accurate science? And the answer might surprise
2: you. I've referred so many people onto that episode since it was since I, I, cause I, I totally believed in when that, when I remember you sharing the premise of that episode with me and being like, huh, what? Cause I was, I was so in, <laughs> like so invested in it.
0: Yeah.
2: There's so much misinformation about it. Yeah. It's just fascinating that even as scientists, you can hear some science that sounds pretty good um, and, and buy into it. And I think, to make sure you check your references for everything, you kind of lose grasp of that as time goes on and become a little bit looser with your um with your references. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, especially if you have you know like reputable people, um, you know saying these things. So it's it's like we have to be really diligent about even if we're hearing some of this information from scientists, we have to double check that. We have to see, you know, like what what those experiments actually entailed and um i think it was just a good reminder that uh, you know because i remember doing like a podcast interview and talking about the wood wide web concept in in those terms of like yeah this is happening this is really cool um and then I did this interview like shortly after that, and I was like, "Wow, I really just was talking out of my ass." He was, you know, like. Um, so I think it's just it's a good reminder for all of us to, yeah, check our sources, like you said, Hannah, and like be diligent about what the real science is and what it's actually saying. So, yeah, I appreciate that you guys like really enjoyed that one. That was a really good one for me too. Well,
1: how about you, Hannah? What's your, what what's what's yours? Um, as far as, yeah, like, what it, what's the one you learned the most from?
2: So I've been, since listening to the Elizabeth Colbert episode, that there's things that she said that have stuck with me on a daily mm. basis and have, and totally. I, I just found her so fascinating. And when you guys heard her, I hadn't heard of her before. So I don't know if she has the same level of fame over in the UK or in Europe, um, and so I was keen to know what all the excitement was about. And when I listened to that episode, I knew immediately why. But just her, um, I think I as a as a person, I'm, I'm optimistic, and I always cling to things that are uh, that have hope and that. Um, resolutions and cures for the climate crisis and I sometimes find people who are pessimistic about it quite difficult to listen to but she wasn't difficult to listen to she was just so interesting like she wasn't do like she, she seemed to be kind of invested in doomism she had like a really interesting I keep saying interesting and it's becoming a not very interesting word to use, but she, (laughs) fascinating, there we go, yeah, she just had this fascinating approach to analysing these really complex, real complex um, climate science ideas such as geoengineering, which is another thing that I hadn't ever really heard of, and the concepts behind that, the more she delved into that, it just completely blew my mind, Um, and it's kind of opened my mind up to being a little bit freer with allowing various narratives into my climate. Um, yeah, into my climate brain, um, I guess. And, and I feel like I learned a lot from her.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, that was such, uh, and yeah, it was such an amazing opportunity to, to have that chance to have that conversation with her. Um, I really appreciated that conversation, I think and and I and and her writing, right like I, I, her her most recent book, um, under a white sky I, I part of what I love about it and and what I love about her perspective is that it's um we talk about this on the show all the time uh, about this sort of like tightrope that we walk. Um, as science communicators with regard to the climate crisis, where it's like, we, we don't want to put forth this like over, overly pessimistic perspective. Uh, we don't want to just be like projecting like doomism and apocalyptic visions and talking about that. Like it's inevitable. Um, but at the same time, we also don't want to project false hope and we don't want to right. say that things are possible that aren't really possible, you know? Um, and I, I, it's, it's like Elizabeth Colbert's just very, like, dry sort of journalistic perspective, you know? Like, I, I kept asking her questions uh, about, like, you know, that nexus of, of those two perspectives on the climate crisis and she just refused to sort of participate in that, you know? Um, You know, she's like, I I, like all I, you know, she said multiple times in, in the conversation, like all I can do is just tell you like what I learned from the scientists and like, you know, her sort of job. She, she, I think she views her role as sort of like sort of collecting all of that information and putting it into like one cohesive narrative and putting that out there for people, you know, yeah. to sort of form their own opinions, right? On where we're at and how much hope is unrealistic, you know? Um, yeah.
0: And well, well, while there was, like, a lot of hope in that conversation, like, it really freaked me out. It really <laughs> freaked me out.
2: Me too. Like, yeah. The
0: conversation around geoengineering and the title of her book, Under a White Sky, and putting reflective particles in the atmosphere that would turn the sky from blue to a lighter blue to a white possibly because we're reflecting, you know, like the sun's rays back into the atmosphere. Like it just, it I could, it, it was scary because I could see us doing that, you know, like I could see us getting to that point where uh, our climate is so unlivable and we've had, so many catastrophes and issues uh, from climate change that like this, this has become sort of a last ditch effort to save all of all of us and save agriculture and, you know, save the human species Mm -hmm. as we know it. Um, Like while it was so fascinating, it was really scary to think about how close we really actually are to that possibility Um, Mm. and I mean, it's interesting that she was just sort of like, I'm just reporting the facts and what I learned and not so much like what she thinks and what she feels might happen. Um, kind of leaving that up to the listener and the reader to, I guess, make, make their own, you know, assumptions and thoughts around that. But Mm. yeah, I thought I learned a lot from that one as well and, uh, was properly freaked out by the end of it. Yeah. Hopeful, but also freaked out.
1: Mm. Right. Totally. And I mean, it's like the the geoengineering piece. It's like, you know, there's yeah, there's the piece that you're talking about, the reflective particles in the atmosphere that that would eventually, if enough of them are put up there, cause the sky to turn from blue to white. Um, And it does. It's it's sort of, you know, she kind of like in the book. Like, I sort of, by the time I got to the end of the book, I was convinced that it's inevitable, that that will happen. Yeah. However, when I asked her that question, like, she refused to say it's inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So she re- sort of refused, you know, it's like, she, she's very much, as I said, in that sort of journalistic mindset. Like, I'm not going to make predictions. I'm just talking, te- you know, I'm just sort of repeating what the scientists say. Um. And disseminating that information. But then the other aspect, like the other geoengineering topic that we talked about at length in that episode was carbon capture, which is super relevant to what's going on uh, at COP28 right now. Um, And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit in the second half. But like one of the things that she talked about in the section about carbon capture is how all of these... Uh, sort of um, models and like scenarios that have been put forward by all the scientists like working for um, the UN and all of these scientists that are participating in cop 28 right now, like the only scenarios that still exist that, that keep us below 1.5 degrees of warming include lots of carbon capture. Yeah. Like we can't, that goal is now unreachable without Carbon capture, and we still haven't like you know the the carbon capture is being put into these formulas and these models without us actually knowing whether it's possible to scale it up to the degree that we would need to in order to keep us below one point five. So that was for me that was the sort of piece of like you don't hear like that's not a piece of information that you hear in mainstream reporting on climate, right? That there's this piece that's actually being integrated into the models and into the projections, and it's actually essential for us to meet the goals, but we don't know how to do it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, definitely check that episode out, uh, listeners, if you haven't uh, listened to that one yet. That one was a great one with Elizabeth Colbert and her book *Under a White Sky*.
1: Totally. Well, how about um, you, Serena? What was uh What was the episode that? Where you learned the most?
0: Well, you stole mine, Matt. Because I was. Oh, sorry. Say, <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> the rise and decay of the wood wide web, but now I have to pivot because you stole mine. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I thought another one that I could highlight is um one that I did with um Laura Briefer on the disappearance of Great Salt Lake. Um, mm, yeah. And if folks haven't. Or maybe aren't aware, um, Great Salt Lake is a huge saline lake um, and it's a huge migratory stopover for birds across the world. So it's like very important for like the 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 worldwide movement and success of birds globally. Um, it's disappearing at a really alarming rate uh, because of droughts that we're having and also climate change and all these other factors, um, water being taken and used for the growing population there and in other you know cities outside of um, Salt Lake City. but you know I, I kind of learned that, you know, for someone in her position, she's kind of in charge of the water. And, you know, like the concept of water being like a public utility is really interesting, because I think that's going to start changing as water becomes more of a limited resource and a more scarce resource. Um, I think that shift from it being like a a human right is is probably going to shift to more of a you know, like, if you have the money to buy it, you can have it. But if you can't afford it, you're not going to have, you know, the cleanest water or water at all. And that's really scary to think about. Um, but she kind of outlined, like, how we got to that place, um, why they settled in Salt Lake City, even though it's a place that doesn't get a lot of water, Um And, you know, how they're kind of managing, trying to get people to move there, but also like we can't provide water to all of these people. So it was kind of this big cluster of issues. And all the while, Great Salt Lake is shrinking and disappearing. And so not only for humans is it having this great impact, but also on the wildlife and also on, you know, like I said, these migratory birds and, you know, what happens with these saline lakes is if they dry up, they have so many heavy metals at the, the bottom of the lake that when they dry up, that stuff gets aerosolized into the air. And that's very, very toxic to breathe in. It can give you cancer. It can give you all kinds of nasty stuff. Um, and then, you know, that becomes like a a dead area for wildlife. And um, you know, so we talked a lot about that. I learned so much about just like how you manage a huge population of people and how you have to make those decisions, and how a lot of them are just politics more than like practicality and what would actually work for everybody. You have to be beholden to, you know like all these stakeholders. And I just by the end of it, I was like, wow, I really, really don't envy being in that position. Uh, for her so it seems like a very challenging job but i definitely learned a lot from that one
1: yeah i agree that was a really fascinating conversation and like i think for i I think for both for both of us serene i feel like you and i probably live about equidistant to um salt lake city Yeah. yeah um it's like that's gonna affect us you know uh like i mean in in so many ways right like it's it it feels like a a huge looming, inevitable, very dramatic, you know, effects of, of climate change. And obviously there's lots of other factors um, influencing what's going on there, but climate change is a big piece of it. Um, yeah. It, I mean, you're right, Serene. It was a very fascinating conversation, the politics behind it and just like some of the, you know, you could really like tell in sort of the way that, laura briefer like responded to some of your your questions that she was like like maybe holding back or maybe just kind of like like she had to say things in a certain way or present a certain perspective because of the politics surrounding the issue and that
0: can't yeah she can't drive people away you know she her job she like even if she wants to say like please stop coming to salt lake city she can't say that Yeah. yeah and i i definitely felt that restraint from her as well um where you know like her job can't be to um you know scare people away from coming here even even if the the facts are saying otherwise. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on to uh, a lighter side of things. Um <laughs> thanks everyone for yeah, I thought I thought those were kind of spot on with how I was feeling about really really impactful uh interesting engaging thought-provoking episodes that we've done this past season now let's move on to episodes where it was really fun listen like fun can mean a whole bunch of different things to you but you know like what if you had any particular guests that you thought were like interesting and engaging to talk to um and you just really enjoyed listening to the conversation
1: yeah totally um i can jump in to keep our um you know keep the order consistent (laughs) i mean this this is an easy one for me because uh i had so much fun talking with uh science fiction author blake hausman dude
0: that was mine Um, too you keep stealing oh my gosh i
1: keep stealing (laughs) your serena sorry (laughs) Uh, that's what happens when you let me go first i guess Um,
0: that's true i should learn my lesson (laughs)
1: I just, I don't know. This was like, I, I am like a sci-fi nerd. Um, I have been for a long, long, long time. Um, and I love just like interesting and a weird and obscure science fiction. And, you know, I happened to cross this, uh, this novel called riding the trail of tears. Um, that is this just bizarre, crazy science fiction story. Um, and, yeah, you know, I read the book and, like, became moderately obsessed with it and and just felt compelled to, like, reach out to the author and, you know, was able to, to connect with him eventually. And when uh, Blake and I got on the call together, um, it was just like, I don't know, it was one of those conversations where we just, like, fell into it and it felt like... You know, it felt very natural and organic right from the beginning. Like, like we knew, each, like, we had known each other for, for years or something. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, we were continuing, like, a long-running conversation. So... You know, I don't know. I don't like if that. I'm. Yeah, I am curious to hear your perspective, Serena, some, because I feel like I, you know sometimes when that happens, it doesn't necessarily translate into an accessible episode for other people because it's like it's easy when that happens, it's easy to kind of forget like the bigger picture and like oh, there's details that people don't necessarily know if they haven't read the book or they're not you know familiar with some of these um, issues and topics that are being discussed. But for me, uh, yeah, it was like such a cool conversation to have and i just loved blake's perspective on the like you know the issue because it's about the trail of tears right he's like imagining this hyper realistic virtual reality ride where tourists pay to experience the trauma of the trail of tears in the not too distant Mm -hmm. future and like the his like i mean both the way that he injected humor into that and the way he talked about it and his like approach and the ideas behind like the satire and humor that he injected into this story uh, it was just so fascinating to me Um so yeah
0: yeah That's, I thought um, his, just his personality was so fun and interesting and just like he has this way of talking that just kind of pulls you in and you, you just want to like listen and talk to him more and find out more information. And I can't remember, but I believe this was his first book. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just was like, wow, you came up with this really kind of ungraspable concept with all these different layers and nuances in your first book. You know, I thought that was, you know, as a writer, so inspiring to just kind of I don't know, be willing to put yourself out there like that and put out a concept that no one's ever really thought of before. You know, it was just sort of like this thing where I was like, wow, nobody, I've never heard of anything like this. And the fact that he's an indigenous writer is like another testament to me why we need more perspectives in, you know, creative fields and scientific fields, because different people bring so many different ideas to the table, um And so when we have better representation, when we have, you know, like authors of color and like, you know, and we really spent a lot of time trying to tell stories this season of, you know, like of, of women and people of color and like different, you know, just sort of these like non-traditional, not your typical, you know, like interview subjects. um And I thought this was a great one where we just we hear this super, super unique story that it just makes you want to run to the bookstore and get it immediately, but also offers like an insight into a lot of trauma um, that I think we're all collectively consuming um, in various ways and sort of like where we go from here as a society where some of this trauma You know, and you can you can think of anything, but like a lot of this trauma has been commodified um, and consumed in a way that's really gross. Um, And I thought that his, you know, his sort of re, like, kind of commentary on how we consume other people's traumas and other people's um, pain was really really fascinating and. Definitely something to think about. But also like he was he just like didn't take himself too seriously and he injected a lot of fun. So I guess that's where I come back to like the fact that it was like a really fun, interesting episode because Blake himself is just like a fun, interesting person. Um and the story is just gonna blow your mind. So yeah, I really, really like that one too, Matt. That was a great episode
1: awesome yeah i'm glad you, i'm glad you are on the same page and that yeah you uh got some of the same things out of it that that i did you know um yeah there are so many cool pieces about 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 that book and, and about that conversation for sure
2: yeah all right hannah i just like oh i feel like all of the episodes um this season have just been so fascinating and such like a wealth of topics as well. Um, and everyone that I every guest that I've had I could have spoken to for days um, and and like whittling the episodes down like one of my episodes was two hours (laughs) when I finished it and I was like (laughs) I really have to stop talking and then we cut the episode We, we we stopped recording and then we talked for like another half an hour um and yeah I mean I'm I'm gonna highlight probably like my favorite group of people that I spoke to um well no peaking favorites is is bad but because (laughs) they I think I just always want to hear so many different perspectives on um on everything really but I mean the thing that really fascinates me as an environmental scientist is is trying to include every intersection and be an intersectional environmentalist who represents and uplifts any group that feels like they're not included and as somebody who has a lot of gay and trans friends I it was something that had always interested me but I was seeking a story about it for a really for a while and there's a few organisations and groups out there that are doing work in that area but it was the first film I'd seen that actually um discussed the difficulties of being a trans or gay person within the environmental movement and the lack of representation and it was a beautiful story and very much a love uh like a love story um, which I raised with the with the director and the star and the director of the film are married. And when I said that it was mm. a love story, they were all like, "Yeah, oh my gosh, it so is." Um, they hadn't really clocked that before, but there's something very romantic and beautiful about the film. And it was they were just a pleasure to talk to, and they've gone on since then. I followed them all on Instagram and they've all gone on to just keep going and doing these amazing things. They're all working together. um, And they're just going from strength to strength and just smashing it within their, uh, within the field. And it's just wonderful to see the, to meet somebody at a certain point in their journey and their story, and then to see them just continue on in that journey and, and have so much success and be still amplifying that message and be receiving the praise and the, the volume that they deserve. So I think they were my, and they were just so fun as well. They were so fun and so silly Mm -hmm. and so great and so passionate. And I just love meeting people like that.
0: Yeah, Hannah, that, that was a really great episode. And I just think another testament to, you know, like our show, it's it's our show is about visibility and um, representation, and like highlighting this beautiful LGBTQIA plus story as it ties to marine science was so cool, and and I don't know, also just kind of like there's a there's an element of the film that's kind of heartbreaking, right? Because like the the, the, like the the conservationist that it focuses on is like kind of giving up on it because of how, how exclusive everything feels and um, how hard it is to be like the only one and feel like the only one, right? And so um, I think telling these kinds of stories is so important. Um, and also with the backdrop of like, you know, <laughs> The ocean and yeah like this love story like you mentioned it was it was really really great and really really fun episode
1: totally totally well serena are you gonna give us do you, i mean we, we took your first two choices here so well, do you have a third choice lucky or? number three <laughs> <laughs> um
0: i'm kind of torn i guess you know if i had to pick one that we haven't mentioned so far I think it would be our episode with Taylor Quimby talking about ticks, in our episode mm. called Socks Over Pants, uh, which I thought was such a fun sort of like kind of com- commit like we all could commiserate together because we all have Lyme disease. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, just kind of like talking about the weird and wonderful world of ticks, which are so gross and so cool at the same time. Um, and, you know, Matt, thank you so much. I mean, you're the, you're the reason we were able to talk to Taylor for that episode. Um, and you're the one that turned me on to that podcast, uh, patient zero, which everyone should go listen to if you haven't. Um, but Taylor was just a, f- such a fun guest and it it was just really cool to hear about all of our different experiences around Lyme disease and how that difference can just cause so many problems and how muddy the waters are when it comes to Lyme disease and diagnosis and where we go from here, you know, it, it, we definitely didn't answer all of the questions around it, but um, you know, his podcast goes into so much detail around the origins of, you know, the first woman to sound the alarm about what we now know as Lyme disease and the potential for a Lyme vaccine down the road and engineering mice and it was just like the, a really wild and wonderful roller coaster of a conversation um and taylor was just so fun and fascinated to talk to and um yeah i think that that was one of the most fun ones that i recorded this season for sure
1: and i think you know there's there's kind of a theme that i'm noticing uh amongst a bunch of the episodes that that we're discussing and and you know this most recent season of earth to humans, which is sort of like, like, um, like uncertainty. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and the sort of gaps in scientific research that, that exist and how they're often, how those gaps are often much larger than we think they are. Right. Just yeah. like very similar, you know, in, in that conversation, in that episode, uh, socks over pants, with Taylor Quimby, you know, that was definitely one of the things that, that Taylor came back to over and over again is sort of like this, um, like how, depending on what doctor you go to, you're going to get a totally different reaction to like the same set of symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, it just, it reminds me a lot of what we we're talking about. In in the um the rise and decay of the wood wide web in that episode, and how there are gaps and like miscon gaps in the science that get sort of like misconstrued, um, through these like routes of communication, um, and then in our conversation, you know, about the episode with Elizabeth Colbert, like some of those same sort of gaps in science in in the climate realm, totally. um, so. Mm. Yeah. I think
2: it's very easy yeah, to be... Yeah, all about uncertainty this year.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Oh, sorry, Hannah, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. I was just going to say, I think it's really like, I think science and and nature can be very humbling. And I think that's maybe why people have an aversion to it, because I think as, as a, a species right now, we think we're so clever and that we have like solutions to so many issues. And don't get me wrong, we've obviously smashed it in some areas, but there's a lot of areas and that have been highlighted this season that are obviously just completely massive gaps. And yeah, I think, I think it's, it's interesting that we're becoming more and more almost resistant to science as we think we're solving more and more issues, but we're creating more and more issues that we need science for in the meantime. So mm, interesting point in human intelligence for sure.
0: Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Thank, thanks, Matt, for finding that that thread. I mean, we were trying to, in this, you know, lead up to this conversation, we were like, how do we connect all of these episodes together? Like, what is the like, underlying theme and da da da. But I think that is spot on with a lot of the conversations we're having right now, because there is so much uncertainty in the world right now, right? Like, you know, as we kind of transition to the next segment of our conversation which is COP28, and this climate summit that is supposed to be, you know, like this problem-solving machine to get us out of this hole that we're in, or at least give us some hope that we're going to get out of this hole, is feeling super uncertain and super precarious right now. Um, And, you know, like, I think we're doing all kinds of really cool interesting things when we seek out these interviews, because we're getting um, kind of a more full picture of like the world around us through all of these different stories. Um, But then we come up to something like COP28, and it just the stakes feel so high, and it just feels really inaccessible. And it feels really confusing. Um, But I think our role as science communicators in this podcast and, um, you know, talking to people doing these smaller stories, or, you know, these like, more focused, narrow conversations kind of helps us get a better sense, I think, in a weird way of what's actually going on. Because when you put them all together, you get this really beautiful mosaic of stories of of hope and excitement and new research and, you know, like something that you thought was one thing, but it's actually another thing. So um, yeah, no, I think Earth to Humans is is doing what we're what we're supposed to do right now. (laughs) It's like just (laughs) giving people a sense of what's actually going on out there. Um, You know, when governments are failing us and it feels really hopeless, uh, I think we've been there to tell some different kinds of stories and give everyone a a more well-rounded view of what's actually going on on the planet. So yeah, Mm. thanks guys for a great season. This was a Mm. really, really good set of interviews that we did. Um, and I'm super excited to see what we do next season, next year. Um, I'm with you, you Serena. I mean, that's, it's, I think, I think, oh, sorry to cut you off there, but I mean, I just,
1: yeah, I just want to reiterate that I feel like I'm, I'm really stoked about the content we were able to produce this past season. I think it's, we definitely elevated, definitely elevated our storytelling, I think for sure. Um, -hmm. yeah, it's, I'm, I'm definitely stoked to dive into the next season. Mm -hmm yeah you know take these take these few months to kind of um, hone in on uh yeah what you know what that next step looks like for the show,
0: yeah, and, you know these were our choices, but I, you know I'm curious to know what our listeners thought, you know, having gone back into this past year into the archives of what we talked about, um, what came up for you, what was super exciting to listen to, what was engaging, what was informative, what was fun. Um, You know, we'd love to hear from you guys. So, um, you know, definitely find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, or write us a little review right here where you're listening. Um, But yeah, let's move on to kind of the the final segment of today's show, talking about COP28. Uh, I just want to hear from you guys, like, what are your initial thoughts uh, about COP28? And like, before we even get into the details, like... What do you think about it?
2: Uh, I'll go first, because uh, we'll take it in turns. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it and on us, Hannah. <laughs> I am so disheartened. And I think someone raised a really Same. good point that I saw the other day that was at least they exist. At least COP exists. And it's very much a step in the right direction that these things actually mm. exist. But it's so, it's, it's just so shallow Like, the whole thing, it lacks Mm -hmm. any kind of, like, any depth. There seems to be all these people that go, like, people within my network, really high-level politicians, and these people giving speeches, like, the British Prime Minister (laughs) is absolutely destroying the climate promises that that the government made and has the audacity to stand on stage and say that we're a world leader and and you've got our news broadcasters saying that, um, like criticising China and India for their inaction when essentially the UK is outsourcing all of its um, carbon to other countries, which is why it looks like we're doing well. Like the news coverage of it disheartens me. The The, the structure of it itself and the people that they have involved, all of it just feels so rubbish so generally not a great feeling for me if you hadn't guessed yeah i mean to your to your to your comment
0: about like at least it exists part of me is sort of like even even though the fact that it exists and it's supposed to be doing one thing and it's not succeeding like is is the fact that we're spending like so much brain power, journalism, participation, interest, like engagement on this thing that's pretty much a big sham. Like, is, is that a distraction? Is that sort of a way for politicians, countries to pat themselves on the back and kind of get away with doing really bad things because we can say, oh, you know, we had this climate summit, we all met, we all talked about it, and we all tried to find solutions, and we didn't find any solutions, but... You know, we at least we talked about it, at least we showed up you know i I kind of wonder if something like this that's so high level and highly talked about and is sort of like feels like the last like ditch effort to actually get something done. I wonder if that is more of a distraction than it's worth
2: when I heard the fact when I heard that um that kind of commentary at least it exists. I was like well yeah because that means there's like a global understanding and a global agreement that um climate change exists then you hear some of the comments coming out of pre-conference saying about um from the guy who's running it saying that mm-hmm. by by removing fossil fuels we'll be going back into caves and right. the and the and then questioning the science and that's the person leading it. So even that reassuring reassuring myself that okay maybe this is a conference based on acceptance of science. Even that got stripped away. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> Matt,
1: <laughs> I mean I don't like it's uh, I I I do feel like something like this is necessary if we have any hope of making any progress on climate to your point hannah of like at least it exists i like i think that's a valid point you know um you know like obviously i can imagine like a thousand different like incarnations of it that would be a lot more productive um but But, you know, at the same time, I don't know. It's like, how do you how do you bring together the leaders of every country on the planet and get them to agree to all these things? You know, Um, it's it is it is a monumental task. Uh, I just feel like it's
0: an impossible task. Like and I think that's where a lot of like Gen Z's anger is coming from right now, where they're growing up and have to live the rest of their lives in a world that's basically crumbling around them and the lack of trust and belief in government and government getting us out of the problem, you know, out of the crisis that we're in. I I feel like they're just disillusionment and disheartening. Um, You know, like stands on all of this, I feel is very valid because I don't see governments coming together and making any moves for progress. I just feel like it's an opportunity for them to all yell at each other and pat, you know, for some of them to pat each other on the back and pat themselves on the back and yell and blame, you know, like smaller countries uh, for a lot of the major, you know, larger countries and their pollution and their issues. So, um, you know, I just, I definitely empathize with Gen Z right now, and just feeling like, wow, we're, we have to live on this planet, and we're so young, and we don't know what to do, and we can't trust governments anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I feel all those things too, right? Like, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, it's you know, like we can't just like, it, like there, there, I, I think there is a uh an ever-growing group of people that are just like fuck it you know like there's nothing we can do so why would we even bother trying i mean i i think that's i think that's the entire republican platform on climate change right now in the united states is fuck it we're fucked anyways so why give a shit
0: well, I, mean, I don't I think even know that if they is, believe in it still. Like I mean there's No, but I think they
1: do now. Like I think I think that shift has has happened, right? And like yeah, I mean I there's sure there's still some, you know, uh folks out there that like are still putting out that old message, you know, from the aughts or whatever of like, "Oh, the science isn't real and it's all it's not even really happening." But well, like, like, of the like leading, from my perspective,
0: that Ramaswamy, he said on the the stage for the Republican uh, debate. He was like, yeah, climate change is bullshit. It's not real. It's a democratic, liberal, you know, woke agenda. And he's saying that and so many people believe that. So I don't know if I, like, I, I see what you're saying Matt, like, I think there is a shift, but I do think that there's still a huge section of the Republican Party that just, like, straight up does not believe in climate change. Yeah, I guess, I
1: mean, yeah, I guess I can't deny that that that, that, that that's true, but like, the I guess... I guess, like, the folks that I know, like, the, the folks that I interact with who are conservative politically, like, would never attempt to, like, argue with me about the the reality of the climate crisis, right? Like, yeah. the argument I get is, like, we're fucked, so, like, why are you spending so much effort on this? Like, the, the, the things that are going to happen are inevitable. Um, and it it's, like, they're there there are definitely people on the far like conservative end of the spectrum politically who are now borrowing talking points from like you know the like from Gen Z right from like this liberal Gen Z perspective of like just throwing up your hands be like i don't and there's and it it's hard to like refute that right like i don't necessarily have a counter argument to that because it's like you're yeah you're kind of right like we are fucked in a sense But at the same time, I think, like, it is also true that because of the nature of what's going on with the climate, like, a small policy change implemented today can have an outsized impact 10, 20, 30 years into the future, right? Like, the difference between, the difference between, like, 2 degrees of warming and 3 degrees of warming is enormous like like that's probably the difference between like millions of species going extinct versus not going extinct and like mm-hmm. millions or maybe billions of people dying versus not dying right like it it is like like the, the when there are wins even if they're incremental it is worth celebrating those wins You know, because like projecting that out into the future, it's going to have even if it feels like it's not having a dramatic impact now, um, very small like changes that that affect very small differences in the climate in the future are still very meaningful.
0: I think it's just hard for me to wrap my head around, I I guess, at least for the United States, because we change governments so often, you know, every four years or every two years with midterms and, you know, like, you know, Congress and Senate and everything. It just feels like we don't have stability, um, especially with the prospect of Trump getting reelected next year. Right. You know, this year, Kamala Harris promised $3 billion for green cli- for the Green Climate Fund, which Trump took us out of when he was president. Um, right. And this fund is to benefit poor nations, you know, and so she, she'll make this promise of $3 billion, but that money still has to get approved through Congress, which, like, it, it just it's hard for me to feel any type of way about that when it's like, you can promise as much money as you want, but that's a, a, a fully empty promise if you know it's not going to get passed through Congress, um, and especially if we have an impending person like Trump, who's just, you know, took us out of the Paris Agreement and stopped all playma- payments to the Green Climate Fund. And, you know, just like these shifts in, in administration and divided government, I just, I feel so pessimistic about what's going on right now. And we need something that is more set in stone and, you know, like locked in for years to come. And I just don't see that happening. And like, I just hate being like such a bummer all the time. But I just like with everything that I'm reading out of COP28, I just feel so disheartened. And like even even just like the the people that are backing some of these like the the climate carbon credit initiative, like John Kerry proposed, it's backed by like Pepsi and McDonald's and Walmart. And like these incentives that they're giving these huge companies like for their you know quote-unquote carbon initiatives are just based off of money and i just right. feel like we're not going to get anywhere like in any movement unless it comes down to like incentives and money and all that kind of crap i don't think people are, people or governments or companies are going to ever do anything out of pure altruism or pure the fact that We're all going to be struggling and people are going to be dying and species are going to be lost. It all just comes down to money and it makes me feel really sick.
2: Serena, you know something really that like you said years ago that stuck with me, which was when we did a roundtable and it was either just before or just after the last election in the U.S., and you said something that you're looking forward, something that you were looking forward to was being able to hold the government to account because it was someone that you had voted mm-hmm. for, someone whose success you were invested in. And what you've just said kind of reminds me of that. Um because I, while I've been a voter in my 15 years as a voter, have never been able to hold a government to account because it's never been a government that I voted mm-hmm. for and hearing your narrative on what what is happening in the US and how there is that kind of quick turnover of presidents and of leadership and of even when people say things that they are going to do it still can get lost along the way it can get voted against there's kind of all of these things going on and it's and I've always. I'm at a point now where we're going to be having an, a a general election next year, and the way the media is is covering it, and the way people are speaking, it seems like there's going to be a change in government. And the current current government have made some terrible environmental decisions recently. Envi- the environment and nature are very very low on their agenda, and the government the 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 other party are becoming more and more close to the ideology of the one that's currently in power they just seem like this slightly watered down version and all of these hopes that i have of holding them to account on anything to do with the environment or nature are very much disappearing into the air on a daily basis um mm. and that in itself is really disheartening and I remember there being a certain element of hope when we had that conversation about the incoming government in the US and it's sad to hear as somebody who has hopes that their vote might actually (laughs) be for the winning party next year that I could end up speaking like you are in a few years time where Mm not really anything has changed and, and then you're threatened with a, a, a change back to something worse.
0: Yeah, I, ugh, I hate to think that you'll be in this space, you know, down the road. But I mean, I, I think I've just had to be a lot more pragmatic about change that I can actually affect and you know we've had lots of conversations the three of us where it's like to really feel like the world isn't falling apart and falling like by the wayside all around you is you have to think hyper local and you have to focus on hyper local issues and that has been something that has helped at least my mental health at least feeling like things can actually get better and i can have an impact but I mean, yeah, for, for those like bigger governments and holding them to account, even Joe Biden's government, I'm, I've been really unhappy with a lot of a lot of things that he's done and said and promised and not delivered on. And um, and also the way he's handled this war in Gaza, like it's just there's so many things that while it's it's all better than Trump, <laughs> it's still <laughs> not great. And I just it bums me out that we're all settling for not the worst, but not great either. You know, and I just feel like collectively across the world right now, especially with COP twenty eight, it just feels like we're all just kind of like, yeah, it's better than nothing, I guess. You know, even though like it's really gross, and the the just the 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 amount of corruption and wealth. Baked into especially this year's just feels like, what are we doing? Um, but you know, like that's that's why I come back to like these episodes that we produced this year. You know, we got to tell really interesting stories all across the world with all different kinds of people from all different sectors, giving us little bits of information that, you know, as a whole paint this picture um, that's not as pessimistic that's actually interesting and exciting and it feels like people want something different and want to make change happen so yeah i mean i don't, of course i don't know what the answer is but um you know i i think we just have to keep hanging on to that somehow and i'm i'm trying my best to hang on to hope right now um especially when it feels like there isn't reason to but you know like Every time I talk to you guys, especially you, Hannah, like I always feel a little bit more optimistic than I did when I walked into the conversation.
2: Yeah, I need to stop reading about cop, I think, and then I can retain this silly disposition. <laughs> 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 uh, well, yeah, any, it is. It's any like final, yeah.
0: Any final thoughts on cop?
1: I don't know. It feels like honestly, I guess the the feeling that I get like watching you know the news that's come out this past week and you know the um you know this this whole controversy surrounding the cop president and you know these statements that he made saying that you know talking about like you know sort of writing off the idea of completely eliminating fossil fuel use which is like it's it, <laughs> or like trying to claim that like there's no scientific basis that we need to eliminate fossil fuel use in order to solve climate change, which is just the mm-hmm. most insane thing that you could say. Um, I mean, it just, it, 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 I mean, it reminds me of us politics, right? It's like, uh, it, it, it makes me feel like, you know, yeah, the person who's running cop is, you know, not that dissimilar to, 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 to Trump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, to to your point Serena, like, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe nothing is better. You know, I don't, I don't know, right? It's like I, it, like we we engage in we engage in this practice of like trying to like analyzing what's going on in the present and trying to like sort of project out into the future like what's what's going to happen like what's the consequence of like these things that occur and how do we like use that information or use those like projections to like make better decisions about the 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 things that we do in our everyday lives um or maybe just to like mentally prepare for what's coming right um but I don't know, you know, yeah, like at a certain point, you just have to look away, you know, um, which is like, if it, it feels like not the right thing uh, for us to do. Like as people who work in this field, science communication or, you know, environmental podcast production. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But <laughs> you know, yeah, like I, I agree. Um, just got to look away at a certain point.
2: I think I feel confused yeah. about at what point in time our elected officials and our presidents of such important events became people who have absolutely no experience of the thing that they're in charge of. Like in the mm. UK right now, we've got an environment secretary who is married to a very high-level manager of a water company who has been discharging massive amounts of sewage into our waterways. And it's, I'm never surprised anymore when these people are appointed to these positions. But he also has absolutely zero environmental background. Like why are there not scientists in charge of the environment? Why are there not teachers in charge of education? Why are there not Why are they just suits and why are they just people who have absolutely no real world experience? It just confuses me. Like, surely at some point in our history, the people who were in charge of these things actually knew about them. Because, I mean, I wouldn't apply for a job. I mean, maybe. I wouldn't apply for a job as an accountant because I don't know anything about maths.
1: Right, but that's the thing, is it's like these, you know, the elections are just popularity contests, right? And it's like it doesn't you don't need to like have that background uh, to convince a majority of people that 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 you're the best candidate for that position. And I don't you know, it's it's like it I, I feel like what we're talking about right now is like the failure of democracy as uh as a model for governing governing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I think, I think we would be better off right now if, like, government positions, you know, like in the U.S., if like our president and our Congress people, our our representatives, were just randomly selected from the population.
2: Yeah, I agree. Would be in a much <laughs> better agree. position, yeah. you know.
1: Um, yeah let's let's end this whole democracy thing, and. Uh, <laughs>
0: You heard it first from Matt. He wants anarchy for our lottery system. (laughs) Well, I mean, we can kind of probably end it there. I mean, obviously we're not gonna get to these solutions and it I I think I think we all, you know, even if even if I or Matt or Hannah, you know, we'll say how pessimistic we feel. I mean, obviously there's still some level of hope in us that things can change and get better because why else are we doing this work? Um, but you know, I think, but, but I think it's also okay to criticize what's going on and, and be very realistic about how we're feeling and how disheartening everything kind of feels right now, because I don't think we're the only ones. I think the majority of us probably feel this way. So, um, you know, I, I just think, like, if we can all keep that fire going, even if it's, like, a tiny little flicker, um, I think that's meaningful. Um, I think we can make a difference some kind of way. I really hope that we figure this out. I don't think it's going to be through COP28 or COP or, you know, like, these big governments. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot of strength from all of us. Um, and somehow we'll get through this. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, (laughs) let's just, uh, (laughs) I just want to thank you all, uh, listeners for following along with us this year. Um, and to my fellow producers for bringing really, really great content. I've enjoyed listening to every episode that y'all have produced. Um, and, We'll definitely be back next year with some cool new stuff. And um yeah, I don't know. Any other final thoughts?
1: We're well, we're planning on being back with new episodes by Earth Day, right?
0: Yes, that is the plan.
1: So yeah, by mid-April we'll uh be ready with uh <laughs> We'll be ready. our first episodes of the new season. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thank you guys. Uh, This was a great conversation. Let us know what you think on Instagram, Facebook, um, and leave us a review here on uh, wherever platform you're listening to now. And we'll see you guys in April, which sounds like a long ways away, but it's really not. It's going to fly by. We're going to be working behind the scenes to bring you guys some really, really awesome, engaging, thought-provoking interviews. So see you guys next year.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody.